You're listening to the Nomad Skeptic Podcast, brought to you by NomadSkeptic.com. What's the digital nomad lifestyle all about? Is it really possible to live and work overseas, traveling from one exotic destination to the next, making money from nothing more than a laptop and an internet connection? Or is the DN concept a pipe dream, an illusion, an elaborate hoax? Trying to find and share answers to these questions and more, here's your host, JLB. Yes, thank you, Deloria. This is the Nomad Skeptic Podcast, Episode 5 today, being recorded on May 30, 2019. That's my time local here in Kuching, Borneo, Malaysia. But the fellow who I'm speaking with today, it's still the 29th of May for him. He's coming to us from Montreal in Canada, but that's not where he's originally from. He's originally from Dallas in Texas. He'll tell us all about that and more. He's a web developer, and a couple of years ago, he went traveling to places like South Korea, and he realized that this traveling and working thing might be for him. So that's what he's working towards. So we'll talk about all of that and more today. I'm chatting with Alex from alexcyrus.com. Alex, good to have you on the show. Hi, John. It's great to be here. Well, I'm glad that you're here, and you've got quite a story to tell us. Was my overview a fair overview? You're a... A young man, a relatively young man, same age as me actually, in your early 30s. And your goal, your dream is to be a digital nomad for a, a longer time. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. A man of few words. This is going to be a lot of fun. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a web developer. Give us an idea of the kind of work that you're doing at the moment. Uh, sure thing. So uh, I am a uh, front-end developer. And um, so I actually, uh, unlike other uh, digital nomads uh, who are uh, mostly entrepreneurs and and freelancers. I actually work remotely nine to five, so I have um, you know a typical nine to five job, um, but it's more of a a work from home sort of situation. And so that's what I do. I'm a, uh, a front end developer for a uh, tech company based in Indianapolis, and yeah, this is actually my first. Um, my first uh, 100% uh, remote job. And how long have you been working for this group in Indianapolis? Uh, since last summer. Last summer. So last summer for you would have been winter for me, which would have been the middle of the year. So we're talking, what, about uh, nine months, eight or nine months? Uh, yeah, let's say I started in uh, last July. And you've been working remotely for them, and they're happy for you to be anywhere in the world to do your work. Um, right. But uh, the thing is that it actually didn't, um, it wasn't like that originally. So I actually, when I got the job, I was uh, living in New York and, you know, it was a, uh, you kind of have two options there. It's like you, you can either uh, move to Indianapolis where the, the company is based in, or you could uh, work remotely. So, um, you know, I actually, I was there, uh, I went to Indianapolis for about a month for, uh, for training and onboarding. and then. Uh, went back to New York and just kind of started from there. So uh, I didn't really go to Montreal right away. It was sort of a um, a long process. You know, I wanted to uh, make sure that I'm that I was really um, really, really comfortable uh, with what I was doing at work before making the the jump to digital nomadism. That makes perfect sense. Well, today, what we want to talk about is your path, how you came to be doing what you're doing and what you're hoping to do in the future. And then also this digital nomad subculture or community, what you've observed about it and what you're expecting 
when you go to some of these digital nomad hubs. And by the end of the conversation, we should have a better idea of who Alex is, what he does, and the DN scene. Sound good? Sounds great to me. Perfect. Well, get us started then. I know that you spent some time in South Korea. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up there and the effect that it had on you in terms of your plans for the future? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, So I was in South Korea from 2012 to 2014, so two years, and I was uh, like like most uh, foreigners over there at the time. uh, I was an English teacher, go figure, and uh, it was something I did. It was actually my first uh, my first real job after college, and you know I graduated with a uh, a degree in graphic design, which uh, you know right in the in the midst of the the recession, which is basically like uh, going into uh, going with two spoons into Normandy, that was my first adventure, I would say, into traveling. So uh, yeah, and I just like I really enjoyed it. It was a great uh, it was a great two years. And when I came back to the the U.S. in 2014, uh, I you know I kind of felt like I wanted to do it more. So I feel like that was sort of the uh, the start to the adventure. And what you did you graduate from college? Uh, I graduated in California State University, Northridge, uh, 2011. 2011. So you graduated with a graphic design degree from college in 2011, and you couldn't find any work immediately in that area. So you decided to go and teach English in, in Asia. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a, um, something completely different than uh, the one I studied in school. Why South Korea? Had somebody who you knew told you about this, or was it just a random thing? Actually, my original plan was to go to Japan. I've always had this uh, sort of fascination with Japanese culture. Uh, growing up, I was uh, I was a big uh, anime fan. I uh, loved uh, Dragon Ball Z and you know all those shows. So uh, J- I felt like Japan would have been uh, would have been a great fit originally, but there wasn't a whole lot of there's a, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities for teaching English like in the big cities, such as Tokyo and Osaka. It was kind of regulated to uh, the countryside. And even then, it was still very competitive. So I looked into South Korea as an alternative choice uh, where there was tons of opportunities at the time. And I could also live in big cities. I could live in, in Seoul, which is, you know, I'm more of a, of a city guy. So I felt more comfortable and I could also save more money as well. I mean, South Korea is um, more affordable than Japan. So, yeah. Okay. So you had your graphic design degree. You went and taught English in South Korea. Where does web development come into all of this? Uh, Web development came uh, shortly after South Korea, I'd say. Uh, So, you know, coming back out of the whole uh, teaching English thing, you know, I just didn't really... I just wasn't really sure what to do with my life. And when I, when I went back home to Dallas, uh, I actually, I got a job working as a a technical writer for a big company there. And I just kind of, you know, after, after a year or so, I kind of decided that, um, you know, technical writing just wasn't really the, the field for me. And, you know, I have always, you know, coming, you know, coming back from the whole South Korea thing, you know, I just like, I still wanted to travel. I still had that, uh, that travel bug still in me. And, you know, I was just looking into uh, different fields. Like, you know, what, like, how can I make this, uh, make this uh, location independent lifestyle a reality? 
Like, and uh, after doing a lot of research, it seemed that uh, programming was the the best way to do it, at least the most um, uh, most reasonable. I mean, there's tons of uh, programming jobs out there, and um, also many of them are 100% remote. So that was a big uh, a big step into why I got into web development. So you were saying that web development, you thought there were more jobs in that area. So you went and studied this, what, informally or at a boot camp. How did you learn web development? After several months uh, working as a technical writer, I, I quit my job and I moved to New York City uh, just on a whim. Uh, I did not have a plan. <laughs> and uh, just kind of, I, I know this sounds kind of cliche, but I just wanted to, to find myself. And, you know, try to see if I could make this whole digital nomad thing a reality. And I was looking into programming boot camps. And I ended up doing one in 2016. It was a three-month intensive programming boot camp uh, in New York City. And that ended up being the start of my, of my web development career. That was the beginning of your web development. So for people who don't know much about boot camps or about web development can you explain how these things work you turned up to the first day and it's kind of like a an intensive course to learn how to code is that the basic idea uh yeah that that sounds about right Uh, it's you know for me i had very little coding experience before then i knew some html and css uh, from codecademy so it it wasn't really a whole lot Um, so i kind of went into it as a total beginner and yeah it was just uh, like week one you know you're, do, you're you're learning the basics just html and css and then like week two you're diving right into javascript so it's basically you're you're looking at eight hours a day of just of just pure programming you know plus uh, homework and projects on the side and you're doing that for three for three whole months so it, it it's pretty intensive and it's uh, it's certainly not for everybody. So these are these are boot camps that people with no coding experience are welcome to attend, or did you have to prove that you had some competency before they let you in? Uh, there was certainly an interview process for it. Uh, you know, they asked me kind of like basic, just very basic questions. Like they kind of walk me through uh, the the Mac terminal and say like, you know, hey, this is um, you know, how do you uh, like create a new folder with the terminal? You know, how do you you know, go into that folder, uh, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it was pretty basic stuff that I just like things that I learned online going into it, but uh, you certainly don't need to know a whole lot. But then again, this really depends on the school. I mean, some schools, like they really, like they, like they'll quiz you on JavaScript even before the course, like this is just for the, the interview process. So, you know, that's like, so the more competitive schools, it's, you know, obviously it's going to be a lot harder to get into. And yours was a three-month course. Do you mind if I ask, and you don't have to be too specific if you don't want, but roughly how much is a three-month boot camp going to cost somebody if this is the path they pursue? So for me in 2016, that three months cost me $9,000. $9,000 from start to finish, and that's for the tuition and I guess some kind of certification at the end of it as well? Yes, that's correct. And this has obviously worked out well for you because here we are in 2019, three years later, and web development is your main gig. It's your main thing that you do now. It's my thing. Excellent. I love it. All right. So let me see if I've got the basic story all in check here. 
So you went and studied graphic design, you're into your art and uh, anime and this kind of thing. Maybe one day you thought of going to Japan, but you graduated at a time when there weren't as many jobs for graphic designers as you might have liked, and you decided to go and teach English in Asia, but you found yourself in South Korea rather than Japan, and you did that for a while. You realized that you enjoyed working overseas, but you needed to find a way to make money, and you'd heard of web development. You went and paid the money, did the boot camp, studied hard, and got good at it, and found yourself some work. And then you were good enough after a couple of years to get a job as a remote worker, which is what you're doing right now. And you've been in this position working remotely for a company, I guess about 40 hours a week, uh, for about nine months. And this is now your main source of income. Uh, That is correct. Sensational. All right. So I've got a good overview of who you are and what you do. Now you need to tell us, when did you first hear about this concept of digital nomadism? I first heard about digital nomadism back in 2015. So I was somewhat fresh out of South Korea, and I knew this was just like something I wanted to do, uh, you know, live the whole location independent lifestyle. At that time, I didn't even know what, uh, what a digital nomad even was. I hadn't even heard of the term. I just, I had met some people online that had done it. Um, this one guy, uh, his name is Cam Adair. Uh, he does, he's an entrepreneur uh, for this, for game quitters. Uh, it's like this this thing that he found about uh, about quitting video games, and he would just you know he could do that kind of work from anywhere. It, it, he didn't have to be in you know some specific location. Like he was a, you know he's originally from Canada, I believe he's based in San Diego. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, uh, but he would just go you know go travel to whatever whatever country or city he wanted to at any given time, and I thought that was great, especially. In this day and age, like, why not? You know, if if he can do it, then uh, then so could I. So, you know, I, after doing some research, I came across the uh, the digital nomad subreddit. And that's when I first actually heard of the term digital nomad. And this was in about 2015, did you say? Yes, to, uh, 2015. Okay, a few years ago. And so you came across that subreddit. Before you found that subreddit, were you much of a Redditor? Or was this your first introduction to Reddit? I really wasn't all that much into Reddit. You know, maybe I would go on here and there. Um, but yeah, I would say this is probably the only subreddit that I'm currently subscribed to. Like, I, it's probably the one that I'm just kind of like, I just like to check up on it every now and then just because it, it currently relates to my lifestyle. It's something that that I could benefit from. But uh, no, I was really, before then, I was just not much of a Reddit user. Interesting. Yeah, I've been using Reddit for years. So the Digital Nomad subreddit is just the last or the most recent subreddit that I've got into. But I love Reddit. I think it's a fantastic website. And if you're somebody who likes to converse with other people and share ideas and ask questions, these internet forums, whether it's Reddit or otherwise, they're a terrific tool, aren't they? And it amazes me that more people don't take advantage of this amazing tool that we've got at our disposal. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of the one of the great, th- one of the greatest things about just being alive in this day and age is just you know something like this wasn't even around ten years ago. Yeah, a couple of generations ago, it wasn't possible. If you had an idea or a question, basically you had the people around you, your workmates, your family, maybe your friends. You could say, "Hey, what do you think of this idea?" That was it. Whereas now, you can just put it out to the entire world, and if somebody has an answer for you, bang, they'll share the answer. How amazing is that? Yeah, 
I mean, it's, it's, I would say that's the only reason we even able to, I was even able to get on this podcast was through, was through Reddit. Well, that's right. I promoted this idea on the Digital Nomad subreddit and you got in touch and then we emailed and we organized this all possible thanks to these kinds of internet forums where people can share ideas and contact each other and make plans. It, it really is a fantastic time to be alive. I agree. Uh, technology has certainly made life a lot easier in this world. I mean, there's, I, I admit it's not all, uh, it's not all flowers and roses. I've definitely heard um, some criticisms of technology, but um, at the same time, you know, for someone who does work in tech and I can't, um, I can't say too many bad things about it. Yeah, you're right. There are some bad things to it. I mean, it's a double-edged sword and I'm someone who suffers from, you know, that feeling of I've got to check my emails. Well, hold on. I just checked them 20 minutes ago. There's nothing that important that I have to check them, right? And you start to get, it's almost like an addiction where if you don't check it, you start to feel anxious. This is one example of some of the negative consequences of technology. So there's good and there's bad, but I think like with anything, if you can manage the bad and take advantage of the good, it really is fantastic stuff. I agree. I think it's just at the end of the day, you know, technology is a tool. Social media is a tool. It's just more about how the person uses it more than anything. But that being said, you know, I think it's, it's important to admit that there's both, you know, upsides and downsides to it. 100%. Well, you know what? That makes a good segue into our first interlude for the call. And I sent you a list of video clips that I thought might be interesting to talk about. And you selected a couple of them. So the first one we're going to talk about is from Waking Life. This is a Richard Linklater film. And basically, in this particular scene, the main character is talking with a fellow who appears to have just jumped off a long-haul train, and they're talking about life and the time that it is to be alive today, and how we, how we might conceptualize uh, our fortune to be alive in this time. So I'll splice that into the call right now, and we'll be back in about a minute. Hey. Hey. You a dreamer? Yeah. I haven't seen too many of you around lately. Things have been tough lately for dreamers. They say dreaming's dead. No one does it anymore. It's not dead, it's just it's been forgotten. Removed from our language. Nobody teaches it so no one knows it exists. The dreamers banished to obscurity. I'm trying to change all that, and I hope you are too. By dreaming every day. Dreaming with our hands and dreaming with our minds. Our planet is facing the greatest problems it's ever faced. Ever. So whatever you do, don't be bored. This is absolutely the most exciting time we could have possibly hoped to be alive. And things are just starting. So that was Waking Life. That was the clip. There's not really a name for that scene as far as I'm aware, but that guy's wearing a free radio t-shirt and he's talking about the time of life that we're in right now. So I'll go to you there, Alex, who's currently based in Montreal, originally from Dallas. Tell me what you like about that clip. That clip kind of resonates with me because, you know, I've always thought like, you know, this is, you know, this is just such a great time to be alive. Uh, Just like doing, like doing what I do. You know, I can't imagine... Uh, this sort of thing, like 10 years ago in 2009, trying to 
convincing my employer if I could, you know, work overseas in another country. You know, and there's certainly, I remember uh, certainly there were not that many uh, work from home jobs uh, at the time. I mean, this is definitely a uh, a new phenomenon, and I think and it, and it's only getting better. I mean, there's uh, you know, remote jobs are certainly on the rise. Uh, the economy is doing much better than it was, you know, several years ago. So, yeah, I mean, these are some just some pretty great times that we're living in. But one of the points that the guy made was, whatever you do, don't be bored. And it staggers me when I speak to people and they're truly bored. All they've got is Netflix or Hollywood films or video games just to pass the time because ultimately they're bored. And I think there are so many things you can do, so many things you can learn. If you want to, you can go and learn an entirely new skill set and get a completely different career just the same way that you did. This is something that we can all do now. And yet a lot of people seem to lead their lives bored most of the time. Right. And, uh, you know, and I think and I think the reason why is that, you know, it's uh, to do something like this. It's hard and people don't really like hard. You know, they want you know, we live in a very instant gratification culture and people just want things um, right away. You know, and it, it doesn't really work like that. I think uh, there's that famous expression. It's um, it's not about the destination; it's about the journey, or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, this I wanted to I wanted to do this four years ago, and I just uh, this just happened uh, of starting March of this year. So it took me a good four years to get to this point. So it was a um, it was a long and hard journey. Yeah, I bet. And yeah, the destination for all of us, Alex, the final destination is at least ostensibly the grave. That's where we're all headed. We've only got so much time here. Why not make the most of it? And in this day and age, you can do whatever you want. You can learn whatever you want. There are tutorials and classes on YouTube to teach you whatever you want. If you find a teacher you like, a lot of them have their own Patreons or their own private websites where for a small fee, they'll teach you even more. They'll do one-on-one courses. There's so much to learn, so much to do. How could anybody in this day and age be bored? It staggers me. Yeah, well, I heard somebody say that... uh... If you're bored, it must mean that you're boring. I have a sneaking suspicion that's the case, Alex. I think somebody who... I mean, we all go through patches. For instance, I'm trying to cut back on drinking, right? So when you stop going out drinking, you've got all this extra time. But if you've already spent the whole day in front of a computer, maybe you don't want to spend another three hours in front of a computer. So what do you do? So we all go through temporary phases of trying to fill in time. But as a general thing, as a general part of your life, who wants to spend three or four hours sitting there in front of Netflix? It uh, doesn't make any sense to me. But you know what? Time is getting away from us, Alex, and I want to focus a lot more on your path. So some people, they work on their own businesses, their own online business. That's how they can go overseas. In your case, you're doing the remote work, which I think a lot of people in the digital nomad scene, this is what they're doing. They've got a, a proper job, really, but it's a proper job that lets you travel. Talk us through the process here. How did you reach a level where you're able to do the work for a normal company, just like a normal job anywhere in the world. So before I got this, uh, this remote job, uh, I was working, I had uh, one year of experience uh, working as a front end developer for a startup in New York. And uh, unfortunately, the, the startup was, uh, was not doing so well. So uh, they ended up laying off uh, half the people in the company, and I was one of them. Uh, so it took me about four months of just uh, of just grueling job searching, and you know I was living in New York City, which is a, a very expensive city. 
you know, I didn't have a, a whole lot of money saved up. So uh, it was a very difficult moment. Uh, and I wasn't even looking for a remote job. This is the thing. Uh, I was just looking for anything. And then, you know, I get the, the interview in Indianapolis, uh, fly out there, you know, all goes well. And yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty nerve wracking, you know, just having uh, only having one year of experience and then going fully remote. It was just, um, I was kind of feeling the whole uh, imposter syndrome, which every programmer goes through early in their career. And I just thought to myself, you know, am I really ready for this? Am I really ready to, to go remote without in-person mentorship? Okay, yeah, so you got the job and what's, can you explain, because a lot of the listeners will not be familiar with remote work. They give you about 35 or 40 hours a week worth of work. I mean, how, how does it work for a remote worker? What does your day entail? So working a, an office job that's nine to five remotely, basically imagine yourself doing the same, the same kind of work that you would be doing in an office, but just working from home. And is it about 35 to 40 hours? I mean, what's a typical week's work for you? It's still a 40-hour week, 40-hour work week. You know, occasionally I do go to the office about once every couple of months. And, you know, a lot of it, um, I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that the company, you know, and, you know, some companies, you know, they're very, like this one, they have a very flexible work-from-home policy in the sense that, at the end of the day, as long as you get your work done and clients are happy, then, you know, and you also attend your meetings, you know, that's the most important thing. And, you know, for me, my job comes first before any sort of traveling, before any sort of uh, digital nomadism. Uh, so this is this is the top priority. And, you know, I, I love my job. I love my coworkers. But um, certainly that takes priority over anything else and you have to go to a meeting in person about once every couple of months is that the case well it's, it's certainly not a requirement but uh, you know one thing is that uh, one thing that I've been learning as a digital nomad and this is a, a very very common problem in the community is loneliness and you know when you're working from home in a foreign country uh, you know you tend to get lonely and so for me, like, you know, going back to the office, uh, you know, once every couple of months, it, it's very, it's very refreshing, you know, just, you know, just to see my coworkers uh, go out with them, you know, have drinks, that sort of thing. And, you know, humans are very social creatures. So I think that's something that, that we just need in our lives is that human interaction. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And the whole digital nomad thing, this is something that I'm still new to. I'm only about... 95 days into the trip, something like that. Don't quote me. So just over three months. And yeah, the loneliness. If you get into a routine of go to the gym, go to the co-work space or go to the cafe to do your work, end of the day, come home, have something to eat, have a shower, then what? If you're in a place with lots of people doing what you're doing, no problems. You can go down to the bar and meet people or you can organize to go and get dinner. But what if you go to a place like Kuching, for instance, and you live in an area or you stay in an area that's not in the center because accommodation is a lot cheaper further from the center, and you're the only white guy in your part of town, and the locals are all very friendly, but you're not one of them. You're not just going to randomly knock on their door and, and invite yourself to dinner. 
you can find yourself very quickly, Alex, feeling all alone. Yeah, it's it's certainly a struggle. And one thing that I, I do recommend for, for people that uh, want to go on this journey is, you know, don't be afraid to just uh, start small. Like, don't be afraid to do the whole do the whole digital nomad thing in your home country first. You know, maybe, you know, let's say if you're from the US, you know, maybe try exploring some cities in North America first before, um, you know, before going to someplace like Asia or Eastern Europe or South America, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of nomads do. And then you kind of see if, you know, this is the sort of lifestyle for you. Yeah, that's a good point. And in your case, you're originally from Dallas in Texas. You spent time in New York. Your current job is based in Indianapolis, but you're based in Montreal. Can you tell us what took you to Montreal? So I guess kind of um, back to what I was saying earlier about starting small is that, you know, I'm a very, I'm a very methodical person. I like to uh, think long term. So, you know, a lot of digital nomads, you know, they say that, you know, oh, once I work remotely, I'm going to go to Thailand uh, the next day or go to Czech Republic the next day or whatever. And uh, for me, it was like, you know, no, I want to, I want to stay somewhere close to home first. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to go anywhere where like right away where like, you know, I have to learn a new language or the culture is like radically different. I mean, obviously, you know, here in Montreal, people speak French primarily, but you know, it's a very, uh, it's a very bilingual city, uh, French and English. And it's also in the same time zone as my work. So that was a big thing for me. And so I figured, you know, Hey, you know, i you know, I love Montreal. Um, I happen to have a cousin over here that I'm uh, I'm renting his apartment. So uh, it certainly helps to have some family, which uh, also helps with the whole uh, loneliness factor. And and yeah, I thought I thought it was a great start. I totally recommend uh, Montreal for as a like as a starting point for American or Canadian nomads. And what is your vision longer term? Do you eventually plan to go to? one of these digital nomad hotspots like Southeast Asia or Eastern Europe or South America? Or do you think you'll probably stay in North America and just keep working remotely that way? Uh, I definitely desire to to go other places. But, uh, you know, a part of me kind of, you know, with the whole uh, making connections thing goes is that, uh, you know, I just, I love to stay in one location for a long period of time. Uh, I, I jokingly consider myself a a digital slow mat because you know i don't really like moving from one place to another and you know just to say like oh yeah i've i've been to this place you know i've seen it um i remember last year i went on a a two-week trip to europe where i saw uh, four different countries in two weeks and i just felt like it you know it just wasn't enough time really to like explore you know each country and for me i think making uh, you know, building personal connections with people and having, you know, uh, long lasting uh, friendships and relationships uh, at the end of the day is is just more important to me than than just traveling. Yeah, I completely understand. But one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is get to know what kind of mindset, what kind of person is drawn towards remote work, digital nomadism, traveling, long term travel, this kind of thing. And I'm trying to get an insight into what kind of people do this. So I did send you that list of clips and another clip that you selected comes from the film Fight Club. And in this particular scene, the main character is talking about his life before his dramatic change. So we'll be back in about a minute. I'll splice that clip in right now. 
Like so many others, I had become a slave to the IKEA nesting instinct. Uh, yes, I'd like to order the Erica Picari dust ruffles. If I saw something clever, like a little coffee table in the shape of a yin yang, I had to have it. The Klipsk personal office unit, the Hovatrek home exerbike, or the Ohanishov sofa with the string green stripe pattern. Even the Rizlampa wire lamps of environmentally friendly unbleached paper. I'd flip through catalogs and wonder what kind of dining set defines me as a person. I had it all, even the glass dishes with tiny bubbles and imperfections, proof that they were crafted by the honest, simple, hardworking indigenous peoples of wherever. I was holding. We used to read pornography. Now it was the Horchow collection. Okay, so that was Fight Club, and that was the main character talking about his previous life, where he would go to work, he'd come home, he'd shop at Ikea, this kind of thing. And I love that film, I love that clip. You tell me, Alex, why did you personally like that clip? Really? Well, Fight Club is one of my favorite movies, so I'd uh, be glad to explain why I felt the connection there with, it, with uh, Edward Norton. So basically, uh, you know, I kind of felt a lot like what he did uh, back when I was uh, living in Dallas in 2015 for that year uh, working as a tech writer. And, you know, I just wasn't, I felt like the whole, you know, suburban, you know, white picket fence uh, lifestyle just wasn't for me. You know, I I felt that there was a lot of, um, a lot of materialism going on, you know, if, you know, people buying, you know, big houses and, you know, when you have a big house, you got to buy, buy stuff that you don't need. And I just, you know, I, and, and I'm a very minimalist kind of person at heart. So I, I just didn't feel like I really belonged at the time, especially as a, um, you know, young 27 year old millennial, uh, just coming out of two years of South Korea. I was like, well, you know, certainly there's got to be more to life than this. And, you know, and, and, and I don't really think there's anything wrong with that kind of, you know, with the whole white picket fence lifestyle. I'm, you know, I'll probably end up, uh, uh, end up doing that myself in the future. But uh, for now, you know, this, the whole location independent lifestyle is the one for me. When you got back from South Korea, you got into the normal work life, but something about it didn't fulfill you. And that was what led you to think about other options. And of course, as we know, you went and did the boot camp. You got the skills to go and start a whole new career in web development as opposed to graphic design. And that's what gave you the opportunity to do what you're doing now. And I'm the same as you. I don't think there's anything wrong with the white picket fence, the family and the children and the career and all this. If it works for people, that's fantastic. And who knows, maybe my future might be more like that. But for the time being, for guys out there in their, or for girls in their 20s or in their early 30s, if they feel like they want to do something different, well, it's never been easier in all of recorded human history for regular people to pack up their stuff and go and see the world. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of resources and you know careers out there for it to happen. What did your uh, parents say to you, or what did your friends and family say when you told them, guys, I'm doing a boot camp. I'm going to go and learn how to code for three months and just completely change the direction of my life. What kind of responses were you getting? Oh, I, I certainly got a lot of positive responses because, <laughs> like, well, hey, Alex is uh, is going to make a lot of money. So, you know, I would say it's uh, you know I'm certainly not uh, I'm not making a uh, six figures, uh, in, in Silicon Valley. It's, but, uh, I make enough where, uh, I'm content with my lifestyle. 
Excellent. And web development as a job, I mean, it is so different from graphic design, isn't it? When I think of graphic design, I think of art and I think of creativity. And I understand that in web development, there is creativity. I do, I do understand that. But there's a lot of coding involved as well, sitting in front of a computer, trying to debug problems. How do you cope with that as a full-time job? I think it's great because uh, I, you know, I, love, uh, I love solving problems and I love taking on challenging things. You know, I, I just really love it. it. It's a very, it's a very rewarding thing. You know, when I'm uh, debugging something or you know something just, uh, you know, I've been stuck on something and it just kind of goes right. So yeah, and then the fact that I can do this while traveling. I mean, as long as there's Wi-Fi, is uh, is great. It, it it just it feels like a dream. Feels like a dream. Yeah, I can relate to that. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions, and I'm going to try and ask all the guests on the Nomad Skeptic Podcast some of these questions. If you could go back a few years to 2015, 2016, when you first heard about the digital nomad concept and you first had these ideas about changing up the direction that you were on, what do you think you could go back and tell Alex, if you had the chance, what do you think you'd say? I would say it is learn, uh, learn computer science, <laughs> you know, like uh, as, as soon as you can. I mean, if, if anything, if I could go, if I could go back even further, I would have just been a computer science major in college. Uh, but, you know, other than that, uh, I, I've achieved everything I wanted to. And I would say do the programming boot camp a lot sooner. Do the boot camp a lot sooner. Okay. Had you heard of the boot camp prior to 2015? I mean, how long, what was the turnaround time from when you heard about it to when you did it? I actually didn't hear these things until I actually moved to New York, uh, which, which is surprising because the whole boot camp industry started around 2011 or so. So I'm surprised it took me, you know, a few years before hearing about one of these things. But when I first heard about it, I had some doubts, uh, like a lot of people do. You know, how can you become a software engineer in only three months when, you know, it takes most people four years of uh, of college to do it? So. There certainly was a lot of uh, a lot of anxiety you know, going into this thing, and as someone who who did the whole boot camp thing, I mean, there's you know just be prepared to take this on as a hobby. Like you're going to have to work uh, a lot of this in your in your free time uh, outside of work, and just to just to make it happen. But one of the things I love about your path is that the boot camp thing did work for you, and you know there is a lot of cynicism out there and skepticism about the boot camp thing because there's a perception that a lot of people are doing boot camps. They're sold the dream that just do this boot camp and you'll get a job as a coder or you can start as a freelancer and all this kind of thing. And for a lot of people, it doesn't work out. You're an example of somebody where it did work out, but can you understand where a lot of the cynicism or skepticism comes from with regards to the boot camp idea? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I would say at least half or so of the people in my class didn't even end up finding jobs in the industry. They ended up going back to what they were doing before. And, you know, that's just something like that's, uh, you know, there's, cer- there's certainly a, uh, a saturation right now in the market. And I'm not even sure in 2019, if I could even recommend going to a boot camp just because of how much more difficult, you know, that, that bar and how much higher that bar is, is setting right now. So I think at the time, uh, I certainly got into it when the saturation wasn't quite so bad, but 
getting out of it, out of the program in 2016, it was certainly not easy to find a job. And why do you think it was, if half of your class didn't get employment after the boot camp, what do you think it was about you and what you did that allowed you to be successful? Well, it's, uh, I, just, I just don't like giving up. That's really what it was. Uh, I just kept at it, you know, tried to get whatever experience I could. And, and that's the th- one thing about the tech industry that, that can be pretty annoying is that uh, every employer wants a software engineer with five years of experience including five years of experience in the latest two-year-old technologies. So you certainly have to start somewhere. Yeah, I completely understand. Right now, this is one of the toughest questions that I'll uh, ever ask any guests, but I think it's an important question. It's a bit of a mind bender, but there is a reason why I ask this. What do you think the future you, let's say 20, 29, 10 years from now, what do you think he would say to you today if he could come back and say, hey, Alex, I'm from the future. I've got some advice to give you about the next 10 years of your life. What do you suspect might be some of the things he'd be coming back and saying? He would say to enjoy your life to the fullest. You know, at the end of the day, you know, life is, life is short and time is a, is a finite resource and we, we only have so much of it. So I think he would just say is, you know, to enjoy your life as much as you can and, you know, do, you know, travel the world, you know, continue to build your career and make relationships and all that. And, you know, whenever you feel like you're, you're done with, uh, with this lifestyle, you can always go back home and, and choose the white picket fence. Excellent point. If you try this out and it doesn't work out, you can always go back home. There's no problems in that regard. So people out there who want to do this, You've got Alex's endorsement. You've got mine as well. Give it a try. I think it's fantastic. Well, Alex, we're at the end of the call now. So this is a chance for you to speak to the audience, tell them where they can find your work, how they can contact you if they're welcome to do so, and any other final thoughts you have about the call today in May 2019. Sure. Well, uh, my uh, my portfolio website, uh, which isn't quite uh, up to date yet, is uh, alexcyrus.com. I promise I'll uh, work on that eventually. Uh, but uh, you can also find me on Instagram at alex.c.cyrus. Well, I'll put links to both of those in the show notes for the call. Huge thanks to you, Alex, for taking up the invitation and coming on to the show. Terrific to talk to somebody who did the bootcamp thing, was successful, completely changed his original path from graphic design into web development. And it's really cool, by the way, that someone can do both. Can you quickly, I don't mean to... Uh, ruin the wrap-up of the show, but just quickly, can you speak to that, this idea of combining the creativity and the logic of web development? That's quite a combination of skills, isn't it? It certainly is, and it kind of helps me uh, pick both both sides of my brain uh, because of it, because uh, I do have the graphic design experience that uh, I learned while being in university with, with also the, the programming experience that I've learned these past few years. It really is a cool combination and I think uh, if, if you can hone both of those skills, you're only 31, who knows what you could be doing with yourself in just a few years time. Uh, right, I mean I definitely, um, in the future I hope to be, I hope to go full stack, which is basically uh, working in front end and back end, uh, just to kind of, you know, just to keep building up my skills that way. Absolutely, yeah, building up your skills, building up your skill set, that's one of the beauties of this time is that you can do that, just keep developing what you're good at. And who knows what the future might hold. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up there. Make sure you stick around for the after call there, Alex. But let's wrap it up. Let me throw to Deloria. 
who is going to take us out today. Today is the 30th of May 2019. JLB coming to you from Kuching, Borneo, Malaysia. Alex coming to you from Quebec in Canada by way of New York and Dallas. He's already traveled a lot more travel ahead of him. But that's going to do us for today. Episode 5 of the Nomad Skeptic Podcast. Deloria, you can take us out. You've been listening to the Nomad Skeptic Podcast, brought to you by NomadSkeptic.com. New articles, podcasts, and videos posted regularly at NomadSkeptic.com. Join the Nomad Skeptic Discord server and be part of the conversation. And wherever you are in the world, have an awesome day.